As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and joining me today is our friend and yours here to tell us all about the NWSL, except for anything schedule related. It's Meg Linehan. Meg, thanks so much as always for being here. Hello. <laughs> I don't have to ask you the usual question for which there is a shirt. Uh, we don't re- really have to talk about the uh, the regular season schedule because it's out. People can find it elsewhere. We're going to talk a little bit about the regular season. We're going to talk some Olympics as well. But we're going to start today with the Challenge Cup. And before I even get to that, I should just ask, I'm assuming it's been a busy time for you. How are you doing, Meg? How are things? Um, you know, I'm on my second cup of coffee. Perfect. Uh, so that that is helpful. Um, you <laughs> this know, is you on your second cup of coffee. Yeah, uh, which is probably a bad thing, but yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I'm I'm looking at my list of like eight stories I need to write before the regular season starts, and I'm going, okay, yeah, this is good. And then you know, now we're we're finally starting to get all of the the news about transfers and folks coming back to the NWSL and all all sorts of things. So it's just. There is never, never a dull moment in this league ever. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of the existence that I've signed up for. <laughs> well, let's talk more about the existence you've signed up for and continue our Meg Linehan wellness check that I didn't realize was going to be taking place right now. <laughs> like, do you get time off once the season begins? Because if we've got games on the weekends, it's a thing I sort of struggle with is how to find time off if you've got games on the weekends and then you've got to cover them during the week. It can be hard to find time. So what's your usual schedule like once the season begins? Um, so I don't have a good answer for this. <laughs> I mean, it's really just kind of, you know, sometimes trying to take a day off mm-hmm. during the week. But also, you know, there is like I have obviously the writing part. I have the watching games part. I have the podcast part. And then I also do this video with relevant sports um, called The Fixture, which also generally I work on on the weekends. <laughs> so it is it is definitely a challenge to find some time off. Like in theory, yes, the the potential is there for me to like try to to like nab days during the week if there are games during the weekend, but then in terms of again like 
the league not necessarily settling down enough for me to get away with that. Like that's my challenge is, you know, if my phone, if I'm getting a lot of texts all of a sudden and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to work for, you know, like four hours or something just to like take a mental break. Like that's my challenge of, yep. oh no, something is happening <laughs> and I feel obligated. Um, so, you know, hopefully at some point there's, there's maybe going to be a little bit of help. Um, so that way it's not just like me first, the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team and also, you know, the wider world of women's soccer and trying to handle all of it on my own. But that's kind of where I'm at is, you know, every once in a while I get a, a Saturday off. But now with the regular season, like it is going to be a kind of an interesting thing of is there a day in the mix where I could potentially take time off? And I don't have a good answer yet. <laughs> Well, then another maybe even more difficult question for you uh, is like, I, I definitely think of you as the preeminent reporter, uh, like coverer, information provider when it comes to women's soccer in this country. I genuinely do. And I think that that's because you've, you've been doing it for so long, but so publicly and you have so many good sources and so many connections. You're obviously very good at what you do as well. But if more people are doing it, do you actually like look forward to that? Or is there a concern at all that like maybe you, you lose a little bit of that influence or is that not a thing you're really concerned about? Oh, it's not a thing I'm concerned about at all. Honestly, like, I mean, that was part of the reason why I took the job at The Athletic because, A, well, first of all, this position doesn't exist, right, at other mainstream outlets. True. But B is to kind of force, what I thought was going to force other people's hands to cover women's soccer in a more meaningful way. And then somehow, you know, we're two years in and no one has really taken on that challenge. <laughs> but, you know, I think that you have people stepping up now in really good and interesting ways. I mean, like I look at the rise of someone like Sandra Herrera, right. Mm -hmm. For CBS, like that's the kind of thing that really excites me, um, to see someone get that platform and, and, you know, now the next challenge is, is can we, can Sandra just cover women's soccer, right? Um, can CBS go all in since they are the rights holder for the end of the cell and say like, okay, we're going to empower, her or or some you know like a team of people to cover this league and do all of the kind of infrastructure stuff that we're expecting but you know fundamentally it the the number that everyone likes to talk about is this 4% right which yes but also the stuff that we're missing forgive my ignorance i don't stuff, i don't know what the 4% is okay so 4% is all media like all sports media coverage only 4% goes to women's sports overall like across the board. Yeah. I, that checks out. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like fundamentally, we are still only scratching the surface, right? Oof. And even for me, like I am only scratching the surface because I am one human who also needs to sleep, who has a dog and a wife and <laughs> likes to like eat food and like ride my bicycle and things like that, right? Like there's only so much stuff I actually fundamentally have the bandwidth for. So how many stories am I not even able to cover myself? So having more people covering this from a full-time point of view is not a bad thing. It just means that the coverage is going to get better. Two things there. First of all, for those keeping track at home, the list of Meg's priorities, as I have them written down, was dog, wife, <laughs> food, bicycle. So uh, good to know where those things stand. Uh, but when Sorry you to Marjorie. Because <laughs> <laughs> the dog is in this room and I can see her right at the uh -huh. moment. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all believe it. Uh, but yep. secondly, when you say you'd like to see the league or women's soccer covered, 
with uh, in a more meaningful way. Are there things you would like to see? Are there sort of types of stories that you don't see that you do see in the men's game or just general coverage from the men's game that doesn't happen in the women's game? I mean, let's, I, there's a lot to get in here, but sure. just in terms of when I think about the way that men's sports are covered, right? And I want to maybe think about TV for a second here and not just like what I do, but we don't have pregame shows for NWSL anymore, right? Like there used to be one ahead of the weekly game, but people aren't getting that kind of storytelling set the stage sort of stuff. There's no real off season content on television about the league at all. Like, you know, hot stove is so important for MLB. I think about the way that the NFL draft like drives Mm -hmm. coverage and conversations both before and after the fact, like, that kind of infrastructure is where there's still so much room for growth that like, you know, there's no one really doing a weekly NWSL show, right? Like you have ESPN FC and stuff on television, but no one is, is taking that next step and saying like, okay, how do we get kind of a weekly, even if it's digital, right? Show in terms of, here's what happened the week before. Let's set the stage for next week. Here are some player features. Like it's that kind of infrastructure where there's still so much room for building. So I think we're starting to see some of this, you know, like we're, we're now kind of getting more podcasts. We're getting more diverse voices in the podcasting world, especially for NWSL. But then the next step is, okay, how do we start building out some of this other stuff? And, you know, there's stories just in terms of, there's not a lot of people doing analytical work within this world at all. And I would love to think that my brain is capable of doing it. And I have been working slowly on a story and just realizing like, I've never, I've never like been given the development tools to learn this really. And so I'm sitting here trying to teach myself how to do some of this work even now. And like, that's where there's still so much room for people to come in and like start telling different stories. Mm -hmm. So there's just, there's still a lot that I think is waiting to be told. And also it's just like different viewpoints, right? Like, yes, you can have the definitive feature on a player or something, but just in terms of talking about like teams in the league or the league overall, like you can just have a really good, interesting viewpoint and start talking about it and like that is still good and important coverage i mean how many people are just kind of like columnists Mm -hmm. you know like in terms of other sports or you know how many people are just kind of like (laughs) nba insiders or nfl insiders right like there is room for competition here all right well that i appreciate you giving uh myself and listeners an insight into into that sort of issue that you deal with on the regular basis, because I think it's it's easy as I was about to do to just launch straight into like, so what do you think about NWSL without actually getting it? Like, how do you feel about the way NWSL is perceived and covered? Uh, so I appreciate you I mean, share, sharing those thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I just think that like the thing that we we constantly kind of see is this kind of big deep dive into. What like what is the NWSL as a concept? And there was a really good one that is like I mean it's a very good example of the genre and it is a good introduction for folks who are not familiar with it. But there was a story in the New Yorker 
or on the New Yorker website this week about Gotham FC and their rebrand and kind of like the valuation of this team, but also NWSL as a whole, right? And like those stories are good and important, but then that's kind of where that coverage stops, right? And even the writer, Luisa, was like, okay, here's where you get regular coverage of the NWSL and link to a few people. And like that's where the gulf is, is that when folks want to come in and and kind of like elevate it to this status of like, okay, uh, a New York Times piece or a New Yorker piece or or anything like that, how do you then say, okay, like I'm I'm using the work of people who are who are here doing the work every day, and how do you a bring them up to that level, but then be like. How do those folks who have been here the whole time manage to get their work up the food chain to, to the elevation of, okay, here's this giant New Yorker feature about Gotham FC? Because there are folks who have been here covering who could tell this story and tell it from a, from a different viewpoint and from a viewpoint of like, we have lived it. And how do you find that work a home too? I'm assuming the answer to that, all of that would just be more money. I mean, more money, but it's also just like who's making decisions about hiring and and freelancing and all that. Like, that's kind of the bigger question, too, of just, you know, in terms of legacy media, who values what? And so, like, yes, money is definitely a factor there. But, you know, if you're pitching a story about Portland Thorns FC to like a bigger national platform, do they value that story the same way that they would value a story about high school men's football? Because I don't think they do. I, I have never worked at the Richmond Times-Dispatch, our local newspaper, <laughs> but I do feel like, yeah, you're getting a lot of front-page stories about high school football, and then maybe you'll get like a small note at the bottom about IWSL scores, maybe. But you're right. Yeah. I think there's probably not that widespread coverage that would definitely be useful in furthering the awareness and famili- familiarity with the league. Right. So, I, don't, I mean, I don't really have great answers. Yeah. I don't really have great answers about it. But it's just like that's the kind of stuff that, you know, is kind of always in the back of my brain and going, okay, when people, you know, I'll, I get a lot of requests to like pick my brain, right, mm-hmm. from folks who are kind of parachuting in. And I'm just like, okay, well, if I don't do it, then is your story not going to be as good? And I need your story about the NWSL to be good so that way people want to become interested in the league. But also my time, like I already don't have free time. <laughs> so yeah. like that's the kind of stuff where it is kind of tough for folks who have who have been around and you also want to see this league grow and you want to enable people to to have really good coverage of the NWSL, but also you want to be valued at the same time. And so that's kind of some of the tension that I think we're starting to see now for sure is as people start to pay attention more and realize like, oh, we've messed up by not covering it in the past. The folks who have been doing it the whole time are going to get asked some really weird questions (laughs) in the meantime and get leaned on in ways that is not necessarily fair to them. And like I, I have kind of come to terms with it because I am kind of more visible than a lot of folks, but that's the struggle of just as this thing grows, what, you know, how are people valued in a way that makes sense? Is that a, conf- is that a conversation you're more comfortable having 
if you're not being asked for a solution, if you're just being asked for like, what are your thoughts having covered the league, having covered women's soccer for as long as you have, for having been in the game? Like, are you more okay with sort of providing that level of analysis as opposed to, but here's my wrapped in a bow, happy scenario of how everything works out? Yeah, I mean, sometimes like, sometimes people are just like DMing me to be like, can you read this for me and make sure that it's whatever? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not doing your work for you. Interesting. Like, if you like pay me to do that, yeah, maybe, um, <laughs> you know, but I think it's also just, I try to really think, okay, is this person coming at a, a place of like, you know, good faith and, and really actively saying like, okay, I'm going to change my patterns in terms of coverage or, or anything along those lines. And so, you know, I think that there is like the NWSL needs these bigger platforms to grow. Like it just fundamentally does. And so I try, I try to think about like, I think men and blazers is a really good example of this, right? Where there was some frustration because like, Oh, okay, where were you in the past? But this is a completely different audience that the NWSL did not have access to before. And I do think fundamentally they like have really become fans and supporters of the NWSL. And so putting aside the frustration of like, okay, you're, you're doing all this work now. Where were you before? Like, do we not want people to like actively get involved in this space? Like it's kind of the, I think the prototype of this frustration is Shea Serrano. I don't know if you follow him, but like he got super into the WNBA and the challenge here is, like, yes, it's great. I think it's very funny. Like, I personally enjoy his WNBA tweets because, like, there's a lot of shit talking. And, like, it's fun. But also the WNBA kind of immediately changed their behavior toward him and gave him so much more access than some of the folks who had been here the whole time. Oh, wow. And so that's kind of the thing of, okay, so men and blazers are doing all these Instagram lives, right, in the NWSL world. And, like, Lisa Baird is on. National team players are on. Part of it is because their content, they have the deal with Budweiser, right? And Budweiser sponsors both the national team and the NWSL. So there's a natural synergy here. And they're going to get access because Budweiser sponsors the league. It all makes sense. It all checks out. But, like, this is just, like, the bigger picture of you've got to balance that out with enabling more people to cover the league and also still giving access to smaller outlets who have been here, who have been doing the work. Like that's the kind of thing where the folks who, who control the access, the league, you know, PR staff, communication staff, like you've got to make sure that you're bringing up all the levels at the same time. So that way you're, you're growing the space and you know, some, you're going to reach a new audience with men and blazers, but you've also got this established audience and, and maybe it's smaller, but it's also super diehard and it's engaged and it's going to convert other people, right? Like these are the people who are going to be coming into the stadium and making this great environment for you that is then making a great product on television, which is like, you know, it's this whole big circle of this ecosystem that is going to grow the game. So you've got to kind of tend to all of your gardens at the same time, I guess. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside 
to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That is a very difficult line for them to have to walk, but a necessary one. And in like on the opposite side, I'm sure that's a really frustrating thing for people who've been covering it for the league or soccer for 10 years to then or WNBA for 10 years to then have the person who hasn't been just sort of like, yeah, now they have an exclusive sit down with, with like Sue Bird. Like I've been on the waiting cool. list for that interview for 10 years. Cool. I'm glad that Chase Arano gets that one. Yeah. But then also it's good that he gets it because then it does create awareness. So it's it really is a, a difficult balance and one that uh, sort of makes my head hurt a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, like welcome to what lives in my brain all the time. This is probably not at all what you wanted to talk about, but where where we ended up. So, yeah, I'm also as you well, first of all, I'm happy we talked about it because I think it's 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 a necessary conversation and one that like I would much rather have than just sort of have you give me the like, what do you think about the courage? And then you tell me your answer while also being like, there's so many other things I would like to be saying about the courage. But uh, you're not asking those questions. So I appreciate you sharing that that insight. That said, as you've said, uh, your time is precious. Precious. You don't have uh, a lot of free time. So since I'm taking up enough of it already, why don't I ask you some questions about uh, the actual soccer being played right now, starting with the Challenge Cup. You mentioned Gotham FC. Uh, they will be playing the Portland Thorns on Saturday afternoon in the Challenge Cup final. For people who are uh, maybe ignorant of the way things work, can you explain the Challenge Cup itself? Because I got, I will admit I got confused when I first saw soccer being played. I thought like, oh, the, the regular season has begun. And then I found myself confused by it being a cup. Yeah, so Challenge Cup obviously started in 2020, right? This was kind of the, uh, okay, well, we can't play a regular season in the middle of a pandemic, so we're going to send everyone to Utah, and they can play basically March Madness <laughs> soccer version, mm-hmm. and we will have some games. But then, obviously, you know, there is value to having multiple competitions happen at the same time, and right at the moment, there's not really, like, you know, a CONCACAF uh, competition that mm-hmm. the NWSL can be a part of, right? So there is some space for NWSL to make a second competition and make it be a part of the overall season. So I have been kind of loud about being like, I don't know why we're doing the Challenge Cup now, because I think we've gotten a couple really good games, and then mostly it has felt like a very grim Mm -hmm. preseason tournament (laughs) overall. Um, And, you know, national team players are missing for the first two, three games for for teams because it also directly uh, overlaps with a FIFA window. So, you know, just in terms of timing. So 2021, though, I think is tough because I do think that they put the challenge cup in front of the regular season because when they were building kind of the key dates that they're working around this is still very much like not height of the pandemic but like you know mid big second wave and so this was kind of the buffer essentially to say okay can we manage this in home markets this is our test run if things start to go wrong then we're not in the regular season and we're not scrambling. It's just kind of the standalone competition and we can kind of just be like, oh, well, it didn't work, right? (laughs) So there was kind of this insurance policy. I mean, they even had in the Challenge Cup rules, like 
teams have to play a certain minimum number of games in order to go to the final. So they were really thinking, okay, if, if COVID protocols fail us, which obviously they haven't, but if something goes truly wrong, like we're going to, we're going to plan for this. And instead, like this has gone pretty much fine. I mean, they've done weekly COVID testing and, and shared the results. And I mean, pretty much every single one of these so far has come back with zero positive results. So teams are adhering to all of the health and safety protocols pretty well, clearly. And now the biggest challenge of <laughs> Challenge Cup when it comes to this is just playing the final. Mm-hmm. There is kind of this question of, okay, you know, they wanted to give it to the team with the best record, which means Portland, but also Portland is now going into a very strict lockdown. There wouldn't be fans there. There is kind of this opening of, okay, well, Gotham FC can't play at Red Bull because Red Bulls are playing, but there is the potential of Subaru Park, home of Philadelphia Union, being a, a, a backup venue, essentially. And now kind of the question becomes, is this actually, could it potentially happen within a, you know, what, <laughs> four-day span of moving this game for safety reasons, but also to allow for fans to be in the building? Again, we want to talk about product on television, right? Like, yes, Providence Park is good, but if you could have, kind of the the picture of Subaru Park with fans in the stands and it's a very nice stadium I do really enjoy it um but that's now the biggest question in terms of the impact of of COVID-19 on Challenge Cup is the location where the game will be played almost a bigger question than who will win the final because to me it feels like we have Portland lifting the trophy at the end the question is just is it in Pennsylvania or Oregon yeah and I mean I think you know the question be- Either way, one team here has to do a cross-country flight a week before the start of the regular season, right? Like, both of these teams have a bonus game. Um, I I do think it is, you know, Gotham FC is going to go into this game with not a lot of pressure on them just because this is their first final appearance. It is also not, it doesn't have the weight of the regular season either, right? So, like, you know, there could be potential for a real upset. Portland are 100% going in as the favorites to this game. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there is going to be some really interesting negotiating <laughs> behind the scenes in terms of does this game potentially get moved? You know, we know for a fact Subaru Park is is in the conversation. Jonathan Tannenwald has reported that the union are, are open to it. Um, and then just the question becomes, like, they they would have to make this decision now just if you are going to sell tickets to actually get folks in the building. And I think Gotham FC fans would travel for it. It's not a bad drive. I mean, it's it's only even a couple hours for me. I would go to that game. Um, But you just kind of have to do it now just for planning purposes for fans, but also for this broadcast crew. Like, they have to hire people. (laughs) This is like an 11-camera production for the final like you've got to you got to start setting this up now and know where the game is when do you think we would be most likely to get a firm announcement or a confirmation of where the game will be played i mean i would hope by tomorrow at the latest but i mean weirder things have happened so <laughs> Well, given given the nature and the history of this show, what is definitely happening is that it's being announced right now while we're recording. So I apologize for taking you away from that one. Although I feel like your phone would have blown up if that were the case. So, 
<laughs> if if something happens, we can just adjust on the fly. All right, perfect. Uh, uh, let's talk about Portland for a second, though, because I, I am really curious uh, how Portland has gone about building such a strong team in what I would say is a relatively short amount of time, because it was only, what, January 2020 that they were getting rid of Emily Sonnet, they were getting rid of Caitlin Ford. It felt like they were basically in full rebuild mode, and yet here we are. So I'm wondering, how did Portland manage to sort of build this strong of a roster in this short of a time frame? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the 2020 draft was really big for them. They picked up Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver in that draft. And yes, it took like trades in order to make that happen. But, you know, I think it's it's funny because, yes, it feels like no time has passed, but also they have basically had like a full calendar year to yeah. um, <laughs> to build this team. But, you know, adding players like Crystal Dunn and Becky Sauerbrunn, both via trade as well, um, adding in a, a defensive player like Natalie Quica was really big for them. Um, it is really funny because this team, and I, I think that, you know, maybe I've said this too many times now that it's almost kind of like this, this trope, but like they lost very, very badly to North Carolina at home in Providence Park back in 2019. And it did not sit well <laughs> with the owner, with the front office, right? Like, they have been very determined to build this team in a way that they are going to dominate. And have they been like perfect through this challenge cup? No, but also if you want to talk about a team that has like the least number of questions about them right at the moment, it is Portland and they're still not playing anywhere near their ceiling, I think. So it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think I, I pretty much have Portland winning it all this year. And they have a potential for a fourth trophy this year, too, because it is not formally announced yet. But, you know, the reports are out that ICC will be in Portland and they will want to win that tournament at home as well. So they have a potential of winning four different trophies this year. And I feel and like they if already you don't did... think they want to do that. <laughs> Like, they want to win every single one of those. I feel like if you're giving an award for off-season acquisitions, they might already win that one, too. Because Crystal Dawn, Becky Sauerbrunn, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm breaking news to you here, Meg, but uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty good when it comes to yeah. this whole soccer thing. Uh, if you're giving your, like, five or six favorite moves of the off-season, uh, I'm assuming those two are in there. But what would be some, be some other ones that you've particularly enjoyed? Yeah, that's a good question. I just think in terms of, I mean, I honestly am very intrigued by the Allie Long one, which mm-hmm. happened like just now, which I guess so technically not an off-season one, but it counts. It was it was really entertaining. On I was at the the Gotham FC game on Sunday. She came in <laughs> for the second half for Gotham FC, and you could feel the energy change, and you could see her like Ali Long doing Ali Long things, right? Like, and she started at the uh, the eight and then they moved her back to the six. And like, you could also feel the energy change even when that happened of just like, oh, she's making tackles that previously would not have probably been made with the other players on this field. So I'm very, it's just also because they have both her and McCall Zerboni who are mm-hmm. like, they kind of serve the same function, so I'm really curious to see if how that team looks if both of them are on the field at the same time. Like, 
it's honestly kind of terrifying to think about, but I like, I want to see it. So we've, we're listing Ali Long, Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. Where would Mallory Pugh's move to Chicago be in your rankings? Yeah, I mean, like, it was, I think, honestly, really good to see her score her first goal for Chicago in Challenge Cup. Like, that really, like, that was necessary energy for uh, Mallory Pugh. And so I think it's just really... I'm just really curious because like she obviously has kind of like bounced around the league a little bit and she hasn't yeah. settled. And so it's just Chicago is a team that is kind of notorious for starting slowly too. So I am, I am really interested to see how it plays out. Um, I mean, I think that there have been some, some other, you know, like, right. It was, I think within the same week, that same, um, yeah, it was like December, the end of December and then start of January, like, O.L. Rain picks up Ziara King, who is a young player that I think a lot of us are very excited about. Like, that's a huge trade. But then also the Rain are kind of, like, making some giant moves in terms of, you know, they are now owned by Lyon. Lyon is sending players over there. <laughs> so we're waiting for it to, to happen. But Rain acquiring uh, Jennifer Marzan and Sarah Buhati for a year, like, that's going to be really interesting to watch so like again not really an off-season thing but just in terms of waiting to see how this impacts their play where they're they're a really weird roster just in terms of like having all of these giant names and we haven't we don't really know how they're going to play together yet but that's kind of the the one other thing that I'm still waiting to see how this plays out does that connection also mean that there's an opening for Katarina Macario to play for Seattle this season? Um, I mean, I'll be curious. I think, you know, Macario has really stepped up with with Lyon so far. Like, yeah. they have basically already been like, and you're in the 11. We will bounce you around kind of a little bit. But, like, you are, you are immediately being pressed into service here. And... You know, it's been very encouraging. I just wrote a story last Friday about Macario and, and how she's already stepping up for Lyon. And, like, yes, they got knocked out of Champions League, but also, like, A, not Macario's fault. But, B, like, this is a team that is kind of shifting, right? And, you know, their their former head coach is out. Sonia Bonpastor is in as their new head coach. Like, this is a team that is trying to figure out, like, what it is now. And... I think they specifically went out and targeted Macario to be a part of this new generation of OL, of OL. And so I, you know, maybe there is still potential that she could come over to the rain in alone, but I, I think they have plans for her in France, honestly. All right. So Macario may stay in France, but if we're talking about teams that are still trying to figure out who they are, it feels like it's time to talk about North Carolina for a moment because I am not used to them not making the finals. It feels very weird, but obviously no Abby Dahlkemper, uh, Abby Ursig still coming back from injury. Uh, Crystal Dunn obviously has moved. Uh, so it's maybe understandable why they're in the position they're in, but it also sounds like maybe they'll be getting reinforcements. That was what I was seeing earlier this morning. Yeah, so uh, Dan Laletta and John Halloran of Equalizer just uh, reported that Sam Mewis is likely on her way back um, to North Carolina, which obviously, I mean, you know, kind of like arguably at least top three <laughs> fielders in the world <laughs> coming back. 
yeah. and obviously a person that knows North Carolina well and knows the system. So like that is an immediate change for North Carolina and, um, you know, setting aside all the discourse about the NWSL is dying because all these players are going to England. Like it's just, it's honestly very good news for the courage. And I think now you are potentially getting back three of the four pieces of that midfield that dominated this league for so long. Like, yes, you're going to miss Crystal Dunn, but you've got Dabinia, Sam Mewis, and Denise O'Sullivan. And those three players are all incredible and all do very different things. And that is plenty to rebuild the courage back into like a real contender. Is Dabinia alone <laughs> enough to build around? Because it feels like she has yeah. the the yeah. the like mystique and intimidation factor all at once. I just like I have been on the Dabinia hype train for a really long time, and I'm really glad now that she is finally starting to kind of make that leap into like the world discussion of mm. of players that we need to watch. And that was one of my favorite stories I wrote from earlier this year, back in She Blues Cup, was just. Like, one of my favorite genres of stories to write is just, like, tell me why a player is good. And getting people on the phone from North Carolina about Davinia, like, they I'm t- like they just, the way that they talk about her is so much fun to listen to because it's just very, like, and the fact that, <laughs> like, Heather O'Reilly was just, like, I tried to call her Little Debbie, but that nickname didn't catch on. Like, it's just very funny because she does have a real shot at becoming one of the most important players in the world. And then at the same time, you have Heather O'Reilly being like, well, I tried to call her Little Debbie, but it didn't catch on. (laughs) Uh, Is that a nickname that you think we should embrace fully? Should she be called Little Debbie or should we just stick with Dabinia? I mean, like, I think that, you know, they call her Deb, but it it is just, she is little. I mean, (laughs) I get it. I get the logic behind it, but it is, it is very, like, she just has the ability to change a game. And we've we've already seen her kind of back in form during the Challenge Cup. Like, obviously, North Carolina Courage did not get the results that they wanted to see. But, like, Davinia is still doing Davinia things out here. So I'm not, like, I, I think North Carolina is going to be fine for the fact that the the playoffs are now six teams. So, and if you want to talk about a team that can probably beat anyone on any given day, North Carolina is still very much in that conversation. So we've mentioned a few teams of the teams we have not yet mentioned: uh, Louisville, Kansas City, Houston, uh, Orlando, Washington Spirit. Uh, who are the teams that you find yourself most uh, interested in for any number of reasons? This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after fifteen seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah, I, I had really high expectations for the Spirit um, in Challenge Cup. I, I thought that they were going to be the team to advance out of the East, actually, and obviously that did not happen, but I think Trinity Rodman has been like one of the revelations of Challenge Cup, so I'm still I've still got pretty high expectations for them. I think you know, there there's obviously some work to be done there, but Washington has been an, another team that has really worked to make some moves on its roster and, and really try to compete. So I do think Washington is going to be, you know, one of the teams to really watch this year. Um, I think Louisville has also just really surprised everyone. I think expectations for them going into the Challenge Cup were extremely low. I mean, they had to sign, I think, five trialists to fill out their roster in time, and they have competed. They've been gritty. They've been, you know, like they, they held Gotham FC to a scoreless draw for that final game. Um, I don't, I like, I don't know if Louisville has like playoff contention written on them, but they do have plans to add in some more players. They just signed, um, center back out of England. Like they're, they're starting to put the pieces together in a way where I, I am far less concerned about them (laughs) and their (laughs) ability to win games. than I think everyone was kind of before the start of the season. And going back to Trinity Rodman for a second, where you say she's been one of the revelations, what do you, what do you find most interesting? What do you enjoy the most about her performances? I mean, her first touch, like she came in as a sub and her first touch led to just like an absolutely gorgeous goal, but just like the way that she settled the ball. Like, I think she's young, right? And and that's been kind of one of the lessons of this is that she's learning as she's playing and, you know, she she skipped college to sign in the NWSL, so there is going to be an adjustment period for her. Like the decision making, I think is like just needs a tweak. But in terms of like successful dribbles that she's made, the first touches that she's made, her her passing, like all parts of her game, like you can see kind of the potential there, right? And the fact that she stepped in to this level 
and could immediately perform and was immediately one of the best performers for the spirit, especially when the national team players weren't back. Like that is super exciting. And she's got like incredible technical skill. And it's just kind of waiting to get worked into that system in a more like fleshed out way. Like it's just very exciting to see it. Uh, I'm going to assume, though, it is safe to say that though she uh, has impressed so far, she will probably not be in the conversation for the U.S. Olympic roster. I think that's probably a a reach for her. Uh, That's the final thing I wanted to ask you about before I I stop taking up so much of your time. Uh, I am of the mind that, like, if we have 18 spots for that Olympic roster, I'll ask you, how many do you think are actually sort of open or not fully decided? Like, I know there's always injuries if a player has a really – bad downturn in form, things change. But for the most part, I kind of feel like maybe 15 of the 18 are already locked down. Yeah. I mean, if you ask Flacco, he just starts laughing and he says 18 spots are, are Uh open right now. Like he, he's very, it's actually really funny to watch people ask him that question because he just starts laughing. Well, he can't answer it, though, right? Like, that's the thing is, like, you have to ask that question, but simultaneously, he's never going to tell you. I was at a press conference once where I think before the World Cup, a Turkish journalist asked Bob Bradley, like, what his starting 11 was going to be for their first World Cup game. And he was like, do you want me to tell you that or should I just send that to our opponents? Like, he's never going to answer, but you kind of have to ask at the same time. Right. Yeah, it's it's really funny. I mean, I think that overall... You know, Olympic rosters do tend to be more conservative than World Cup ones because, again, like you've got fewer players to to really mess with here. But I I think the two question marks really in terms of like, are they going to make it onto this roster right at the moment are Christy Mewis and Katarina Macario. Mm -hmm. And both have been doing everything that they possibly can (laughs) to justify their inclusion. So... It's just, it's really, like, this roster is impossible because, A, you have all of these holdovers, right? And you also have this new group of players coming up. And the year delay means that now they're really challenging for these spots. And the way that I have just tried to think about this roster is, like, I don't think that there's a wrong answer for any one of these spots. Is there maybe, like, a more right answer? Possibly. But again, like the thing that I keep saying is we're not seeing so much of what Flacco sees, like in terms of training, in terms of, you know, the the tactical analysis and the video analysis that's going on. And in terms of like what he is specifically asking of players like we he might talk about that, but he's not really talking about it in the same way. Right. Like there's the internal expectations of a player's responsibilities and then there's what he might give in one single answer in a press conference. (laughs) So it is really tough, but like the one thing that, that does feel far more promising with Vlako Andonovsky is that club form will play a role that, you know, we have this kind of like long stretch of NWSL games until June, basically with the next window. So there is going to be a chance for a player like Christy Mewis to, to make that, decision as difficult as possible for him but fundamentally yeah i don't think that there are truly like a huge amount of spots open right at the moment like it's just it's it's an impossible choice so running through the the positions then i think we we have uh Alyssa nair i i never know fully how to pronounce her name by the way and i feel like a jerk every single time because sometimes i hear nair sometimes i hear like like nair what would you go with on that one 
There. There. Okay, cool. And then who would your backup goalkeeper be or who would the second choice keeper be? You're going to get me in trouble online. Um, I, I mean, I guess the question really is, you know, Ashlyn Harris has not been called up. Um, in terms of like Olympic roster, this is actually kind of the spot where I would really be conservative. Mm-hmm. So for me, I get the, the push for Ashlyn Harris. But I also think that we haven't seen Adriana French in a U.S. national team camp in a really long time. She is back on the field for Thorns. I think that she looks pretty good. Like, she has not played. She didn't play in 2020. She came back from injury. She hasn't been able to get back into a camp. I don't know if she will get called up for, like, the June camp. But she would be in the mix for me. And then, obviously, Jane Campbell is in the mix as well. Again, I don't know if there's a wrong answer. But in terms of wanting a player with big tournament experience for the Olympics and then starting to think about, okay, like not only where is our next starting goalkeeper coming from, but our next kind of like second goalkeeper coming from, like that's when I'm going, okay, that's a question for 2023 and not necessarily this summer. That makes sense to me. Uh, does that extend then to the defense? Because like, if we're going, my roster would be six defenders based on the limitations there are. And I feel like four of those six are pretty locked down, again, barring injuries or anything like that, which leaves probably a player who could play center back and fullback and then another player who could play fullback and maybe center back if the situation requires. Who would you have if you're rounding out those uh, defensive positions? Because I would assume we've got Kelly O'Hara, we've got Dahl Kemper, we've got Sauerbrunn, we've got uh, Crystal Dunn. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the preferred starting for. I mean, there's not really a lot of questions there. I mean, now the question, you know, Sonnet is in the mix, right? And Sonnet could play either one of these. Someone like Alana Cook is in the mix. Midge Purse is, in theory, a fullback for the national team. And Midge Purse is a very interesting question because we also know that she could easily play on the wing. She could also play as a striker. And so now the question becomes, does this team value um, positional versatility within just the back line, or would you want positional versatility kind of up the pitch as well? And that's a question where I don't necessarily have a great answer for. Also, Allie Krieger is is mm. still obviously kind of floating around. Um, I think Allie Krieger, this is going to be an interesting one for her because I don't think her form has been necessarily great for Orlando, but then you put her in the national team, and I think that she actually works really well as a center back um, in the national team system. Like I, I think that she has played really well for the national team actually as of late when she has gotten the call up. Um, and I think that she's also worked specifically on a lot of the aspects of her game to step in as a center back, but also she can obviously play as an outside back. So, I mean, I don't have a great question. I, I personally just would love to see Mitch Purse make this roster just because I like Mitch Purse a lot. She reads books, Meg. Think- she reads books. You know, that's obviously a good thing, but like she just in terms of what she could add from a offensive point of view too, like just in terms of how the national team likes to play, like I think purse adds a lot in terms of potentially just overwhelming opponents, like overloading them in an attack. So but I think Sonnet is probably also a lot for spot number five at this point. Interesting. 
All right. So Emily's not in there. So we've got one more defensive spot. We'll see what happens there. I had yeah. this five midfielders with uh, Ertz, Haran, Lavelle. And then the question being, is it Mewis or Mui? Uh, or is it uh, Christy or Katarina Macario is basically where I was on that one. Sounds like you're in a similar boat. Yeah, I mean, I, it, also the question becomes is Macario might have a an entry path to this roster via the forward pool mm-hmm. instead. So, again, like, this is the part of the, the problem with the national team is, like, you can say, like, oh, okay, yeah. this person is in as a midfielder, and that's not necessarily where they would play, too. So, I mean, we even, we even saw Lavelle on the field as a forward for the national team in the last friendly. So... It's it's almost really hard to try to put people in these buckets for, okay, if we're building a roster and we've got six defenders, five mid, like, it just becomes almost silly sometimes because it's just like, well, if you, can, if you have a player that could play, like, three different positions, what makes sense, like, what bucket to put them in? So you're telling but me you don't I want think- to write a piece about who will be in your starting 11 and who will be your, your de- definitive 18 for the Olympics? I... I have I have like basically been running away from writing that story because like I can have my viewpoint. I can have my viewpoint, but like ultimately my viewpoint does not matter. <laughs> like I can have my eighteen and be like, yeah, this is what if I if I'm picking based on what I can see, this is my eighteen. Does that actually like add value to the discussion? I don't know. Hmm. Right. Um fundamentally like that was also the thing about picking the the World Cup roster for the 2019 World Cup is I found it much more interesting to try to like get into where Ellis was at with certain players because none of us would have probably seen Ali Krieger <laughs> coming. Yeah. Right. Or also there was so much talk about like, oh, we're locked into this midfield of Lavelle, Ertz, Haran, and then the World Cup starts and Sam Mewis comes out of nowhere. Well, let's so, talk, let me ask you this then. Like, wh- what from the press conferences you've attended, uh, virtually or otherwise, and from what you've heard from Vladko, are there things that you think he would like to see develop further with this team? Are there a couple different things that he tends to focus in on? First touch, fitness, positional awareness, goal scoring. Like, is there anything that you kind of hear over and over again that maybe gives you some insight into players he might be looking at who could uh, fulfill some of those roles or do some of those things that uh, haven't been done so far? I mean, I think the biggest conversation that we keep having is about finishing (laughs) just because like, you know, Colombia is one thing, but just in terms of the Sweden game, um, the finishing touch just hasn't really been there, but yeah, I mean, I, he, he's, he's not necessarily giving a lot away in terms of like what he's looking for beyond that Mm -hmm. for players. So he is, he is. Like, I find Blacko very tough to read because there are certain things that he'll talk about, but I just also know that, like, again, he's going back to, like, his binders full of information. He's going back to watch... Like, he's he's on a very different level <laughs> in terms of what he's thinking about, and he, he does talk about it and share some of it, but he's working with a lot more data than any of us are. So... And the, the other thing, too, like, even on this midfield, like, yes, we're talking about Christy Mewis and, and Katarina Macario being potentially in there. Again, like, you've got four world-class players that you're trying to jam into a midfield with three to begin with. But then also you've got someone like Andy Sullivan who's in this mix as a direct kind of backup for Julie Ertz. And so do you prioritize 
bringing that kind of backup defensive midfielder as well. So what you're saying is there's lots of good players and not enough spots for them? Is that about where we are? Because yeah. I think that's where we started, but it feels like a good place uh, to end as well. That's the U.S. Women's National Team problem. <laughs> it's the joy of this team. Uh, well, then we will talk, obviously, more about Olympics, uh, Olympic rosters, all that good stuff down the road. For now, my final question for you, though, uh, just broadly speaking, we do know uh, what the groups will be, what the tournament will look like. Are there other teams that you're particularly excited to see when the Olympics do kick off? Yeah, I mean, of course, we had to draw Sweden, right? Of like course. that is how all of these major tournaments work. But I mean, the Hague I think decided it's an international rule. That's yeah. how it works. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the G- Geneva Convention yeah. now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just think it's really interesting because, like, I would have said like a team like Australia, and then Australia's April friendlies went very wrong for them. <laughs> So it is going to be really, really interesting to kind of see how the teams trend going in. You know, Team GB is going to be really interesting to watch just because they are not playing yet as Team GB when it comes to friendlies. Like we're still getting England friendlies and Scotland friendlies and all that kind of stuff. So like Team GB is always kind of this weird one-off thing that is always very interesting to watch. And I, I am going to the Olympics. In theory, that is the plan, and I will I will be able to watch them in person for one game, and I definitely am looking forward to that because they're just always... It's just a, an interesting time to kind of watch some of these players get put together for this particular event. And what percentage of that roster do you think is going to be Welsh? Like 70% of Team GB? <laughs> I mean, you know, just Fishlock, at least, I would hope. Okay. But it is really interesting to see, like, who makes the cut? Yeah. Um, because it does tend to obviously skew very English, but, um, you know, there there's certainly a number of candidates from Scotland, Kim Little, um, just to, to start. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm going to be really interested to see how that roster gets built, for sure. If Aaron Cuthbert is not on that roster, I'm officially boycotting Team GB. I won't, I won't have <laughs> it. I won't stand for it. That's where I am on that one. Yes. All right. I, I mean, that's... That's fair. All right. Well, as long as we agree on that, uh, Meg, I appreciate you taking uh, all the time. Uh, what else have you got coming up this week, uh, either in audio format or in written form or any other form that you fa- feel like talking about? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm writing about Gotham FC and their their journey to the Challenge Cup final right now. Um, I've got the podcast this week. I honestly, it is Tuesday. The episode comes out on Thursday. I have no idea what I'm doing yet, which is usually yeah. how my week go. Yep. Same here. Um, so that's that's that and then yeah it's just kind of waiting to see if this game actually does get moved to philly too because if so i will be driving down there but it does it does feel like a little bit of a long shot at this point all right well then listeners can uh i guess watch meg's twitter space to see how that all plays out but for now meg Lidahan, thank you very much for taking all the time to talk about all the things today no oh, thank you for having me as always Listeners, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon.